In the name of the Father and Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We will continue our study in the book of Second Samuel, chapter 9. So just to remind you guys where we are in the scripture. So David the prophet, now he is a king over Israel. And we saw last week that David the prophet has been fighting different sort of wars. And we spoke about how each of these wars are actually a spiritual warfare that we face. And a spiritual warfare that we all have to deal with, whether it's fear, whether wars of things of the past, different kinds of warfare that we have to deal with. Now today, we're going to find ourselves looking at the life of David as he continued to live with God. And we said this is one of the best period in the life of David. He has been very pleasing to God at this point. He has been following his commandments. He has been walking with him in his life. So from verse, from chapter 9, it says, Now David said, is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? So you guys remember in the life of David, Jonathan, Saul's son, was a really good and honest friend to David. And they had a covenant together. And that covenant, that if David becomes a king, he will look after the family of Jonathan. Now here's the thing. David has been a king for a while already. But he forgot his promise to Jonathan. And sometimes in our spiritual life, when we get closer to God, God starts to remind us of some of the promises and some of the desires that we had when we wanted to start a real relationship with him. So David was reminded that he made a promise and he forgot to keep it. He made a promise and he forgot to keep it. So David started to take an action immediately. He said, who is left in the house of Saul and Jonathan that I might give them uh, generosity, show them generosity and care? And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Zeba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, are you Zeba? And he said, at your service. And the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show kindness of God. And Zeba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, where is he? And Zeba said to him, said to the king, indeed he is in the house of Makar, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Makar, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. So what happened is, they told him there is a, one of the servants of Saul's house, his name is Zeba, and he knows who is left in the house of Saul. One thing you have to keep in mind, it was a common tradition in the old days when a king comes to replace another king, they destroy all their household. Why? Because they don't want a rebellion to come later on. So even though David made a covenant with Jonathan and he should keep it, but also him showing kindness to the grandchildren of Saul also could be a dangerous to him, could be dangerous to him, because this man could eventually, later on, maybe plot a rebellion against him. But one of the things that we always have to keep in mind that when I am when I'm following the commandments of God and keeping my promises, I should not worry about anything. Whatever consequences happens, it is in the hands of God. 
Okay? Now, there's also a beautiful thing I want to mention to you. That person, Makar, the son of Amiel, who has been holding uh, the soul's uh, grandchild. This person is doing something that is a very risky. He kept a child who is lame, but this child is for the house of the soul, and at this point people might look at Saul as the enemy of David. He, he hid him in his house. And you know what's interesting? When we go later on in 2 Samuel 17, when David was running away from his son, the same person kept him in his house. Seems that this is a, an unknown name, it's not very well known in the scripture, but he's somebody who took in people in his house when they were at the lowest point in their life. Everybody would welcome a businessman or a doctor or somebody in their house, but how many people would welcome somebody who's running away, who's poor, who has nobody around him, or he's ch being chased by an enemy? This is what this man did. That's why this man, even though not a lot of people know him, but he is a very unique man. Now when Methibosheth, this is the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David. I mean, he came to David, obviously he's, he's scared, he doesn't know what's going to happen. He fell on his face. He's lame, so it must have been like he just kind of threw himself at the feet of David and prostrated himself. Then David said, Methibosheth, and he answered, here is your servant. So David said to him, do not fear. For I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? Methibosheth was scared of the reaction of David. But then David did something very significant. He told him, all the properties of Saul, I'm going to give it to you. That's a lot of stuff. That's a lot. When David wanted to keep his promise, he went all out. You know, when you say, I want to show generosity to somebody, or I want to be kind to somebody, this word is very subjective. People can say, oh, I'm nice to the person. And you ask them, what do you do? And be like, oh, I smile at them. I welcome them. I say hi to them. I ask about them. I send them a text message. I do this, and I think I'm nice. But look at what David is doing. He's doing something that is beyond, beyond the norm. He's actually sacrificing some of the properties that would belong to him. He gave it away to also, there's one thing I want you to kind of think about, the beauty of poverty. Methibosheth, he was rejected, he fell and he was lame, he cannot move his legs. And, and all of a sudden, this child, for a while, everybody is kind of helping him out, he's, he's, he's helpless, poor. And because he's helpless and he's poor, he learned humility. When he saw King David, he told him, who am I that you think of me? I'm a dog. I'm nobody. Poverty taught him that he's nothing in the eyes of people. So when he got a call from the king, he felt he's so unworthy to be the king's son. 
or to eat at the king's table, sorry. I think the life of Methibosheth reminds us of the work of our Lord in our life. We all kind of Methibosheth are lame, we cannot move forward in our spiritual life, we're neglected. We had a lot of opportunities in the past and maybe you have kind of give up on them. We feel like defeated. And all of a sudden, we get a call from a king. And he says, I want you to eat at my table. I want you to eat the Eucharist with me. So every time I come to present myself in the front of, front of God, I could tell him this verse. Who am I that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? This is the feeling of somebody who was truly humbled and lived the life of humility due to his poverty and his rejection. And the king called to Zeba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belongs to Saul and all his house. You therefore and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him. He shall bring the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mathibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table. Now Zeba had 15 sons and 20 servants. One of the things I like about David in this passage is that he's not only showing kindness, but he's also setting Mephibosheth for success. Sometimes we don't understand or we don't try to understand people's abilities. And you might deal with somebody who does not have the ability to manage, or like Mephibosheth in this case. He doesn't have the ability to manage. He might not have the, excuse, the, the execution or the power to enforce some of the laws. So now David helped him. He gave him a hand. And he commanded Zeba to work for him. And it's important for us to think about this idea of understanding people and accepting them the way they are. You guys, uh, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I think one of the things that sometimes I personally struggle with is accept, accepting people the way that God made them. We tend to draw closer to certain type of personalities. But God, a lot of times, wants us to change and develop by learning to accept all kinds. That's why in the prayer of thanksgiving, we always say, thank you for you have accepted us. Think about the most difficult person in your life that you're having a hard time to accept. And then this is, this is God himself finding it hard, God himself looking at me and says, look, you are so many things in you that is not, uh, not like me, but I accept you. The way you are. So this is the beauty of what David did. He looked at his, he looked at, he looked at Mephibosheth's abilities and tried to help him. Then Zaba said to the king, according to all my lord the king has commanded his servants, so will your servants do. And Mephibosheth said to the king, he shall eat. As for Mephibosheth said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of my king of the king's son. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, 
and all who dwelt in the house of Zebah were servants of Methibosheth. So Methibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both feet. Obviously, again, David's kindness involves a cost. Now Methibosheth has a son, Micah. And Micah now, he has properties, he has servants, and he could eventually, if he wants, maybe think about planning a rebellion against David if he wants. But David did not, and this did not happen in the scripture, and David did not consider this because he was fulfilling the commandment of God. Sometimes you might be at work, and you have somebody who's learning new, and you're trying to not learn, teach them everything. So you can always be needed at work. God says, teach them everything. And don't worry about your work. I'll take care of you. I'll take care of you. Okay? And this is the beauty of the life of Methibosheth, somebody who was almost failing in his life, neglected, and all of a sudden, God took him from the lowest part and made him sit at the king's table like all of us. All of us were the lowest point of our life, and God took us to sit at his table. Now we're going to start chapter 10. Just to remind you, a while ago, there was a king of Ammon, and the king of, from Ammon, remember, he attacked Israel, and remember, you guys remember, he said, he told them a, a very re weird request in 1 Samuel 11. He told them, because they were very weak, he told them, if you want to submit to me, I, won't, I will not only take you as a slaves, but I want to take out your right eyes. What, your right eyes. So basically, they will be his slave, and he will take the right eyes of all men. So no longer they can actually fight. So at that point, they called for David, and David came and saved them from him. So now there's another story that's going to happen to him. It happened after this, that the, that the king of the people of Ammon died, and Hanun, his son, reigned in his place. Then David said, I will show kindness to Hanun, the son of Nahash, as his father showed kindness to me. So David sent by the hand of his servants to comfort him concerning his father. And David's servants came into the land of, of the people of Ammon. So David was acting as a usual any king would act. You guys know if, some, if, a, if a, an ex-president or an ex-king dies, all the leaders of the countries will send like a, a nice letter, you know, or some of them will show up to the funeral. This is normal. So David heard this is the king died, so he sent the delegation to tell them, you know, our condolences, we're really sorry and all that stuff. So the intention of David was very good, very normal. Look what happened. And the princes of the people of Ammon said to Hanun their lord, do you think that David really honors your father because he has sent comforters to you? Has David not rather sent his servants to you to search the city, to spy it out, and to overthrow it? Therefore, Hanun took David's servant, shaved off half of their beard, cut off their garments in the middle at their buttocks, and then sent them away. And when, he when they told David, he sent to meet them because the men were greatly ashamed, and the king said, wait at Jericho until your, uh, your beards have grown and then return. So what happened when David sent the delegation? The princes of Ammon told the, told the new king, told him, you think David sent these people really to, to comfort you? No way. They're coming to spy on you. Obviously, this new king looks like he's immature. Very inexperienced. What did he do? 
He immediately took action, shaved half of their beard, cut off their clothes, sent them in shame. Obviously, this is really foolish. If they are spying on you, at least you don't make it obvious that you figured it out. You know, maybe try to figure out what's happening, try to follow them, try to see what, do some investigation, do some work. But because maybe his emotion was high, his, his dad just passed away, he acted in rush. He acted without wisdom. And because he acted very immaturely and he acted very quickly, unintentionally, he started a war. You know, sometimes you hear some, somebody speaking about you or somebody told you something, somebody said this about you, and all of a sudden you get all worked up and text him and message him, message him or, or put a status on Instagram or start going, and a war will start. Because of what? Because you have not taken a time to calm down and to think about what truly is happening. What truly is happening. So they, they humiliated David's servants. David, when he heard the story, he did not, he was not intentionally going toward. He just said, okay, you know what, take them to a small city and then until their beard goes. It was very shameful in the old days for, for, for men to shave their beard. Actually, certain areas in Upper Egypt, if you shave your, your mustache, it's a sign of that you've lost your masculinity. Okay? So, so now to them to shave half of their beard and to cut off their clothes in the middle, it's really you're humiliating them. So David, with wisdom, he said, you know, I don't want war. Let me take them to a city to stay in until their beard grows and then let it go. So what David did was very wise. One, he comforted his men and made them feel they are heroes, they've done the right thing. He allowed them to gain their dignity, and then he let it go. Now, when the people of Ammon saw that they had made themselves repulsive to David, they said, we must, we made David angry. A few minutes ago, they thought they were spies. Now they said, we made David angry. See, no logic. The people of Ammon sent and hired the Syrians of Beth Rahab and the Syrians of Zoab, 20,000 foot soldiers, and from the king of Mecca, 1,000 men, and from Aishtobo, the 12,000 men. And when David heard of it, he sent to Joab all the army, he sent to Joab and all the army of the mighty men. Then the people of Ammon came out and put themselves in battle array at the entrance of the gate, and the Syrians of Zeba, both Rahob, Rahob Ashtoba, and Mecca were by themselves in the field. You guys know, I think World War I, it started because an assassination of one person. The whole world got into a big war because one person was assassinated. Here, it's a big war happening for a very foolish mistake. These people are not doing their own version. So now, instead of the people of Amun seeing, is David really coming to war? They didn't even check. They started investing money, renting soldiers, doing all these things, talking to people. This person is talking bad about me, sending messages, having conversations, turning the whole world upside down. Now David himself had to also prepare. When he saw that they're coming toward him, he has to prepare. Those people of Amun spent so much money and so much energy and so much lives for no reason. And if you think about it, a lot of the wars that are happening, a lot of the disagreements and fights and drama that happens in people's life 
have no basis. Most of them are nothing. People fight over money and lose their siblings over money. Who cares? People fight over jealousy or envy. People fight over silly things. And we invest all our time and resources over something very silly. People get too sensitive if somebody doesn't treat them a certain way. And they start acting and getting angry and frustrated. Frustrated. You don't need to. Take it easy. That's what's happening here. A whole war, thousands of people aren't going to die. Those thousand people in our, in our time, our own time, energy, effort, that we could have used in a good way. Gone. So what's happening is the Ammonites are coming into the middle and then the Syrians, the, the people that they, they rented, they're basically coming to attack from the side. So when Joab saw, Joab, this is Joab is the leader, or the commander of the army of David, saw the battle line was against him before and behind. He's saying this is a big battle, some coming from the front, some come from the back, because the Ammonites are coming from the front, and then the, the Syrians are coming from the side. He chose some of Israel's best and put them in the battle array against the Syrians. And the rest of the people who put them under the command of Abishai, his brother, that he might set them in a battle array against the people of Ammon. And he said, if the Syrians are too strong for me, then you shall help me. But if the people of Ammon are too strong for you, then I will come and help you. Be of good courage and let us be strong for our people and for our cities of our God. And may the Lord do what is good in his sight. So let's explain what happened. Joab is actually did something very beautiful. He took a strong group of warriors and he told them, I will go fight the Syrians. The Syrians are the hardest group, the, the more tougher war. And he told his brother Abishai, you take the rest to fight the Ammonites. And if I see that you need help, I'll come to you. And if you see that I need help, you come to me. But, uh, but, uh, but Joab took the hardest part of the battle. You know, like some managers, for example, or some people when they are in authority, they like to delegate all the hard stuff. And then they do nothing. They like to blame everybody, but they do nothing. If you are married, everybody likes to put all the weight, heavy weight on their spouses so they can do nothing. Here, he said, I will take the hardest part and we'll help each other out. And this is one of the best leaders you have. I remember one time um, we had we had a, a, a business where yeah, the many business owners, many many business managers will come. Turnover was very very high. The workers never liked any manager, and then all of a sudden the manager came. They all loved him. They loved her. They said why? They said because she leads by example. When it's time to clean, she takes the broom and she starts cleaning, and then everybody feels obligated to clean. It's very important for us to look at Joab in, in, doing, in, doing, in doing the work of God by taking the greater responsibility. The other thing is Joab did something beautiful. He said, let me take the most courageous, the strongest soldiers 
and put them in the front. Why? Because he wants to encourage the rest of the army. He didn't say, let me take the most strongers and keep them around me to protect me. No. He said, let's put them in the, in the front. You know, when we're serving God, when we're doing our work, we always want the most courageous people okay, to be courageous in serving God, to be the leaders. Those who are, are humble, those who are willing to sacrifice, those who are willing to give, to be the leaders. Because they become good examples for the rest. And now Joab, even though Joab is a, a man of war, and he put a really good plan in, but he told his, his brother, he told him, be of good courage, be strong. Why be strong? Because we are fighting a good fight. We are fighting for the city of our God. I'm not fighting for myself. I'm fighting to protect what God has asked me to protect. And that's extremely important. What makes us succeed in our spiritual life is I understand that I need courage. And I'm not fighting for myself. I'm fighting the war of God. So God is in charge. That's why Joab was courageous. Even if he died, he would have been happy and blessed because he died doing the work of God. So Joab and the people who were with him drew near for the battle against the Syrian and they fled before him. When the people of Ammon saw that the Syrian were fleeing, they also fled before Abishai and entered the city. So Joab returned from the people of Ammon and went to Jerusalem. You see, Joab, his whole goal was to make just disperse the army. When they ran away, he did not go and try to kill them. There's really no reason in this war. He understands that this war has no reason. You guys remember last chapter when we were talking, we talked about different types of war, fear and like remembering the past and all that stuff. Sometimes these are the wars that you must fight. But sometimes the devil gets you to engage in a war that you don't want to fight. And you should not fight it. Because he wants to consume you and keep you busy with idle thoughts and anger and all that stuff. So now here, he understood he didn't, he didn't follow them. Would they stop? They wouldn't stop. When the Syrians saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they gathered together. Then Hadizar sent and brought out the Syrians who were beyond the river. Now they're getting more Syrians. And came to Halem. And Sabah, the commander of Habizar army, went before them. And when he was told David, he gathered all Israel, cro crossed over the Jordan, and came to Helam. And the Syrians set themselves in battle array against David, and fought with him. Then the Syrians fled before Israel, and David killed 700 chariots, 40,000 horsemen of the Syrians, and struck Sabah, the commander of their army, who died there. And when all the kings, were, when all the kings who were servant to, ha uh, to Hadizar saw that they were defeated by Israel, they made peace with Israel and served him. So the Syrians were afraid to help the people of Ammon anymore. So now what happened is they collected a big war, a big army against David. Now remember the war before this, David did not fight. Now when David saw there's a big significant war, this is one of the greatest war in his life. He came, he entered the battle, 
And David, through the help of God, he defeated a very strong army. Through a big, the help of God, he defeated a, 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 the, this, the, a big army. And that's why, that's why it's very important when we are facing a spiritual warfare, it is important for me to be engaged in the warfare. Like C.S. Lewis said in one of his books, the greatest trick of the devil is that he convinces us that he doesn't exist. So you never fight. You're always staying far. And now we see that David interfered in a big war and now all the Syrians are no longer fighting him. Now, before we talk about chapter 11, I just want to stop here because there's a big transition in chapter 11. So, so far, David's life is looking very good since he became a king. Before he was a king, he messed up a few times, but he was constantly driven by very harsh conditions, difficult times, Saul trying to run after him. Since he became a king, he's been doing everything that God wants him to do. He's been fighting the enemies of God. He's been building the city in Israel inside, putting good leaders, building, trying to build a house for God, even though God told him not to. He started preparing for Solomon, his son. And now he's also defeated all his enemies. He fulfilled God's promises. Everything looks good. Okay? So the devil has been trying to fight David in so many different ways. He couldn't. But David does have one weakness. Remember I told you earlier that David married many women. And everywhere he goes, he will marry a wife. And this was not according to the will of God. So now let's see what happened. It happened, this is chapter 11, in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rahba, but David remained at Jerusalem. Obviously, the time of spring, the weather gets better, so now all the people who want to fight, this is the time they fight. They don't want to fight when it's really, really hot, when it's really, really cold. They want to fight when the weather is right. So this is a time where people usually fight. David decided to stay at home and not do what he's supposed to do. And this is, my beloved, is the worst thing we can do because it opens us the attack of the devil when I don't wanna, when I don't do what I'm supposed to do how many times do I sit in my house my room just looking at randomly at my phone for hours how many times do I have useless conversations for hours how many times do I waste my energy and my money on things I don't need to do how many times I delay the work I have to do? David, it seems really small. He said, you know what, let me relax. Let me send Joab. So, you know, it's not a big war. Let him take care of it. While people are dying and fighting, he decided to rest. See what happened. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed. Arose from his bed, by the way, has a meaning the bed and the night are usually time to remind us of sin. 
Because it's a time when the human body is lazy, your guard is down, and your thoughts are open to anything. So he, you know, he's not fighting, and he's not doing what he's supposed to do, so he's bored. That's the next logical thing. He's sitting at his bed, I woke up in the middle of the night, and walked on the roof of the king's house. He's taking a walk. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Elohim, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house. So what did David do? This is just mind-blowing. A holy man who's been fighting the wars of God, who's been dreaming of building a house of the Lord, who's been writing psalms. Everything is right. One night, he put his guard down. He committed the worst sin of his life. One night, he decided not to go to war. And he felt he would be safe. The devil was waiting for him. What does that mean? Look here, he says, when he was walking on the roof, he saw a beautiful woman to behold. What does it mean? He looked at her bathing, and instead of looking the other way, he kept looking. Like you go on the internet, or you go on your phones, or you see somebody, instead of trying to look the other way, you keep looking. So he kept looking. And now what? There's a problem. David is a king. He has an authority. He asked about her. But they told him she's married. Even though he knew she's married. And she does not belong to him. He sent to take her and to, for him to sleep with her. Now, this is obviously a different type of sin than all what David committed before. Why? David, earlier he committed some sins out of fear when Saul was running after him. He committed some sins because he was stuck in certain situations. But this sin is a temptation completely out of his own laziness. And this, this sin, he, it involved him and other people. It involved a woman and her husband. And not only this, David was not embarrassed to ask his servants in the palace to go and go get her so that he can lie with her. He's putting, you feel like when you look at these few verses, you feel like David, his brain is wiped. This is what the temptation does. It wipes your brain completely. No thinking at all. What about your credibility? What about how you look in front of your servants? What about her husband? What about, what about, what about? Nothing. Blinded. 
when temptation takes over, we are too weak in front of temptation. That's why when it comes to sin, it is better to control the environment. Sin has temptation, has environment, has will. The easiest thing to control is, is environment. What do I mean by the environment? Let me do what I need to do. Let me get busy. Let me not hang out with the people that will tempt me. Let me not go to the places that will tempt me. The holiest, one of the most holy people in the scripture. He had miracles. David, David defeated the lion and the bear and defeated Goliath. This man is like top, top of the line. One day, he decided not to do what he needs to do. He fell so bad. Don't ever, ever think for you and me that we are bigger than sin and bigger than temptation. Anybody can fall. If David can fall, we all can fall. A man after God's, God's own heart. Every morning I wake up and I tell God, what do you want me to do? Because if I put my guard down, I will fall into sin. Now, what happens is, he slept with her. There's a problem. And the woman conceived. So she sent and told David, and he said, and, and, she, and said, I am with a child. Remember when David used to send out of fear? Like when he ran, for example, to the land of the Philistines, and then the king captured him, and he started to act crazy, and then the king said, I don't want this guy, let him go. Like when he did, when he committed sins out of fear, and out of the difficult circumstances he, he was in, God saved him. God got him out of it. Now here, he committed a sin, and God said, no, wait. There's a problem. There's a problem. And see, the Bible said the woman conceived. The Bible didn't even mention her name. Why? At this point, it mentioned earlier when they were telling David, because to David, she was just a woman. She was not somebody that he loved. She was not somebody that he knew. Okay? So now he has a problem. The problem is the woman is pregnant. And her husband is away in war. So where did the child come from? And also... There's a bigger problem I mentioned earlier briefly, but he used his authority to do this as a king. And that's another problem. Then David sent to Joab saying, look at what David said, send me Uriah the Hittite. Who's Uriah the Hittite? He's the husband of Bathsheba. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And Uriah had come to him. David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah departed from the king's house and a gift of food from the king followed him. Wow. So David is in trouble. But instead of, instead of going to speak with Nathan the prophet, telling him, I have sinned, I don't know what to do, take a moment to reflect. He said, let me cover it up. How do you cover it up? Let me get this woman's husband to come back so he can go sleep with her. So now 
the child will be what will be belonging to this man. Obviously, if he thinks about this, he's, the child in this woman's womb is his. He's betraying the child. So he wanted to cover it up in a way without any thinking, without any reflection. You feel when you look at this, this point that David's conscience is completely dead. Whenever you were about to commit a sin, the devil always blinds you from all reasons. From all reasons. What's not a big deal? Everybody does it. What's the problem? You can always stop when you want to. You can figure it out. It's not an issue. Life is too short. Just enjoy it. Now, he sat, David sat in fear and in worries and does not know what to do. Now, when Uriah came, but Uriah, look, so the king, when Uriah came, he, he has nothing to tell him. He told him, oh, how is the war? How is everything doing? And all that stuff. And he told him, okay, go to your house. Go get a rest with your wife. And not only this, he sent him to get a nice flower, a nice food, so that him and his wife can have a nice night. He's promoting him to sleep with his wife so they can, he can cover up. Look at what Uriah did. But Uriah slipped at the door of the king's house with all his servants, with all the servants of the Lord, and did not go down to his house. So when they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, but David said to Uriah, did you not, did you come, did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents. And my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in open fields. Shall I, shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Look here, this is such a beautiful, a beautiful person. Uriah, the king told him, go sleep with your wife. Go to your house. What did he do? He stayed at the king's door. Why? Because he's doing what he's supposed to do. He's a faithful soldier in God's army. And see how David became silly? This is how silly he was. The sin makes you silly. He brought Uriah to tell him, why didn't you go to your house? Imagine the king himself is concerned where Uriah went, where Uriah came. And not, not, not only his concern, the servants themselves, they knew what's happening. They told David, look, look, he didn't go to his house. Everybody knows that David is covering up a big problem. And the response of Uriah is a wake up to David. He's telling David how the ark, Israel, Judah are all dwelling in tents. Remember, David the prophet told God, he told him, how could you dwell in tents and I dwell in a nice house? So Uriah is reminding him, he's telling him, remember, I mean, God is using Uriah to remind David to wake up his conscience, but his conscience is dead. He told him, how can I go sleep and the ark and Judah and everybody's fighting? This should rebuke David. This should rebuke David. Uriah is preaching to David in an indirect way. In an indirect way. I cannot rest and the church is fighting in the world. I cannot rest being part of a struggling church because I know 
if my life becomes holy, many people will come to God. So here, Uriah said, I cannot rest. I will fight. And even if I go back, you know, one thing I, I want to tell you guys, what Uriah is doing is helping him to stay in the mindset of war. Actually, in the, old, in the very old days, quite often, they keep the soldiers not going back to their homes for a long time. So they could always continue to be rough and strong. When they go back home, sometimes they de-stress and get lazy and, and, and they start their motivation to fight is reduced. He wanted to remain focused. Then David said to Uriah, wait here today also, and tomorrow I will let you depart. So Uriah, obedient, remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. Now, when David called him, he ate, he ate and drank before him, and he made him drunk. And at the evening, he went out to lie on his bed with his, the servants of the Lord, but did not go down to his house. Imagine David doesn't know what to do. So he said, okay, no, bring him to my house. We'll get him drunk. So he can go back to his, 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 his wife, and then we'll say that he slept with his wife. Remember David, when he was living a poor life, he was humble, he was fair, he was just. Once he started to live a luxurious life and relaxed life, he started falling in the hands of the devil. David, sin after sin, now he's getting somebody drunk. And drunkenness is a sin. All of this, why? Because he fell into the trap of the devil. I committed a sin and I don't know what to do. And instead of getting an advice at some point, he started going worse and worse and worse. Uh, it's nine o'clock, so we're going to stop here. We'll tell you guys something small about this passage. We'll continue next time. David meant, did everything in his hand to hide his sin with, with Bathsheba. But it became one of the most known stories in the life of David the prophet. He did everything to hide it. But it became one of the most known stories in the life of David. And if you look at all the victories and all the wars that he won and all this stuff, people don't remember it that much. That people remember the sin that David committed with Bathsheba. We have to be careful. Because the devil will wait for us, even when we're, we're spiritually strong, wait for us for just one moment to get, to get to us. So we have to constantly be a warrior in our prayer, in our scripture reading, in our spiritual food, constantly getting food, constantly getting filled. Because the word does not stop. And glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.